0: Welcome to the February edition of Information's Crossroads Podcast. I'm John Burke, America's editor. And joining uh, the program today is uh, George Habash, Senior Vice President of Power Utilities and Infrastructure at Jefferies, and uh Editor at Jinju Lee. Welcome to the program today, guys.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Uh, so uh, today we are discussing a few topics that will surely be explored further in the IWF America's conference slated for next Thursday, uh, February 27th. At Convene in uh, Midtown Manhattan. Uh, George will uh, also be on a panel uh, that day to discuss s- sustainable energy at 11 a.m. alongside uh, Robert Golding of Mayor Brown, Stuart Murray of AFRI, Hanno Shocklich of Kaiser Wetter, Energy Asset Management, uh, John Breckenridge of Capital Dynamics, and uh, Mario Maselli of Upper Bay. So before we get there, Uh, George, it's obviously been a very interesting year in the solar and wind space, and that's what we're here to talk about today. Um, We obviously had a a very big deal hit in the fourth quarter uh, when CPBIB um, announced terms to acquire uh, Pattern Energy and and to take private. Um, So with the cost of uh, wind and solar having come down substantially uh, versus only a few years ago, Uh, And in some markets now competing directly with conventional uh, generation, where do you see um, sort of the investment pieces from fund infrastructure funds, pension funds and other fund managers uh, having the most interest at this point?
1: Yeah, I mean, you've highlighted a pretty interesting transaction in this space, the CBPIB acquisition of pattern. I think that's a perfect example of uh, global pension funds um, and LPs really looking to deploy capital um, in renewables uh, driven by you know ESG pressures and other sort of climate change initiatives um, that they're pursuing and sort of being asked to pursue um, we're seeing the liquidity in the market for uh, renewables generally uh, still very strong um, what's Perhaps been the most interesting sort of trend that we've seen in the last like 24 months is the bifurcation of the types of capital uh, pursuing renewables really across two main main categories. One type of capital chasing after lower risk, lower return operating projects. And really, when I talk about operating projects, it's sort of like NTP and beyond. And you know, same same reasons people um, are being asked at at fund managers and the LPs are requesting capital deployment opportunities in renewables, Um, and that's not just in the U.S. It's really a trend we're seeing globally. Um, And then the what I think is probably the most innovative um, uh, capital that we've seen in the last twenty four months is that chasing renewables, but with a lot more sort of risk return, um, uh, you know, sort of as part of the investment mandate. Um, And that's really being driven by some of the GPs that have raised dedicated capital to pursue more um, more platform-oriented investments, uh, more greenfield exposure, and more merchant exposure. So there's been a tremendous amount of capital that's been raised across both of those categories. I'd say um, a lot of the traditional infrastructure funds that we're pursuing um, you know, low risk, low, lower return at the time, which were still double digit returns, um, have now sort of migrated up the risk curve, insourced a lot of functions that would have otherwise been outsourced before, like development capabilities, like um, uh, origination capabilities for PPAs, because um, they want to take a much more uh, of a hands on approach to finding opportunities, deploying capital in those opportunities um, and really trying to compete with strategics, which, you know, they had a difficulty doing before. So, um, you know, I'd say there's a, there's a lot of vehicles that have been raised that are essentially pursuing, um, you know, platform and uh, greenfield-oriented um, opportunities today than there was 24 months ago.
0: Interesting. We have um, seen uh, renewable funds being raised as sort of the alternative bucket now, you know, with these GPs. It's, it's renewables and uh, debt essentially are the yep. two alternative buckets. Are you seeing these renewable funds dedicated towards greenfield or is that something that's Is is renewable, the renewable funds more to do the with the mature assets? No, I mean, I think what they're
1: doing is they're saying, we're going to take a pretty, you know, uh, flexible approach to how we deploy our capital and try to find um, opportunities that provide us with superior, you know, risk return propositions. So when you think of like the, the traditional GPLP model, um, they're compensated based on how much capital they've raised. So they, they you know get paid a fee for um, managing the capital that they've raised, but also um, have a certain return requirement that they have to deliver back to the LPs. And most of these GPs, and there are some exceptions, and I'll talk about it in a sec, but most of these GPs need to, or are targeting sort of mid to low, um, sorry, excuse me, uh, low teens to mid teens returns. So the only way to do that in renewables today in the U.S. is to actually take on development exposure or more merchant exposure or by a platform that can deliver those types of returns, so um, you know the the investment principles at those funds are being compensated to find opportunities to deploy that capital, and as I was saying before, you know are taking a hands on approach to managing the risks, and sometimes um, we'll even bring in internal expertise um, referred to as operating partners um, to help manage those risks. So that's you know pretty um, that's a trend we've seen in the last like twenty four months. Lots of capital, like I said, that's being raised the um the more sort of lower risk lower return capital opportunities are still being looked at by those funds that I was just talking about um and I think those will be opportunities that will be used to round out funds once they've deployed you know a certain amount of capital in perhaps higher risk higher return opportunities to sort of manage um, it's really part of portfolio construction frankly mm-hmm. um, to ma- to manage the portfolio exposure but Um, One trend we're noticing is that some of the vehicles that have been successful in deploying capital and renewables in those operating type of opportunities uh, have sort of raised capital and moved away from the traditional sort of, you know, GP, um, LP, asset asset management compensation structure Mm -hmm. and are now just being paid based on uh, NAV. So um, that allows them to essentially be a bit more competitive when they're deploying capital as compared to the other funds. Um, and, um, yeah, by having a lot of those, you know, internalized resources can save a lot of money on diligence costs and third-party costs, uh, which then shaves further sort of their gross to net return proposition to, to LPs.
0: Very interesting. Um, I, I had one question that came up as a result of this discussion. Um, you know, obviously, uh, the, it's always talked about the PPAs reaching the end of their natural life and, you know, the Leaving the generate the developer to replace the PPA or go to merchant risk. Yep. Uh, how is this playing into how uh, the fund managers view these investments? Yeah, I mean, it's an
1: interesting question because I'd say 12 to 18 months ago, we were seeing. I mean, I guess a broader trend that we've observed is that the return on the environment for renewables has come down dramatically. I mean, everyone everyone has seen that um, as the market has matured and and people have become comfortable with you know the sub asset class generally. Um, and when you think of all the value levers that you can pull in a renewables type of transaction, there aren't that many. I mean, it's cost of capital and it's O&M, uh, asset management and, you know, long term power pricing views. And, you know, if you look at what the curve vendors were providing a year or 18 months ago, I mean, there were some pretty aggressive back ended power pricing assumptions that were essentially driving a lot of the sort of valuations that we saw in the market. Um, uh, even up until, like I said, like, you know, nine to 12 months ago, I'd say um, yeah, having received these recent vendors curves, having been on the sell side and a couple of processes of late, uh, the market is really the market has really sort of rationalized their views on long term power pricing assumptions. I mean, to for example, to assume that in 2030, we're going to see $75 power in ERCOT, I mean, obviously, is difficult for someone to underwrite today but they were willing to do so a year ago, right? So I think the market has become a bit more um, realistic on what those power prices are going to be, and that's really sort of um, rationalized uh, a little bit the market environment. Now, there are still people that have perhaps less experience in the U.S. that are coming from overseas that don't have as much visibility on what the the underlying fundamentals are going to be and are relying on these third-party curve providers to, to underwrite. Um, you know their investment thesis for projects, um, and they're just taking a view. I mean, for example, you know some folks are willing to take a view that there's going to be long-term carbon pricing uh, in the U.S., and they're going to you know maybe not take that at face value, but make it make a, a decision that and take the view that it's going to be a slight discount to what that curve looks like. And there are the ones essentially that are clearing the market today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think you know I've been saying this for 18 months, and I'm kind of happy that it's finally happening. There has been a bottoming out of returns generally, uh, for operating renewables. And in fact, you know, um, the, ch- the funds that were buying renewables a little while ago, uh, are the ones that are now saying, well, actually we're going to go and do, you know, Greenfield because there's just a better value equation for our LPs.
0: So let's talk about the financing market, um, for renewables, talked about talked the financing market that would last several hours. Yep. We have 20 minutes. Um, yep. 20 minutes. obviously <laughs> it's a strong, you're, you're coming against a strong market in general, you yep. know, for, for everything. Um, yep. Terminal and B's that we see, and and the, the private placements that get priced very yep. handsomely in the market yep. today. Um, what are your observations? Uh, you know, just taking a look back and to look forward uh, for renewable energy deals.
1: Yeah, again, the market is very liquid um, and very aggressive when it comes to financing. Um, you know, the bank market has been very robust. Uh, the pricing coming out of out of the banks has been very aggressive as well. Uh, Covenant Light. Um, But, you know, frankly, we think that the private placement market has been even more constructive on structure and pricing um, for those that are looking, um, you know, at a hold strategy versus then as compared to a build and flip short term strategy. Um, You know, what we like about the private placement market for renewables, particularly if you have, um, you know, like a a medium or longer term PPA, um, is the ability to lock in a structure, Lock in a rate, and you don't really have to worry about it. Um, and they can be very creative. And you know, again, 24 months ago, probably less willing to, um, you know, uh, structure a transaction with uh, private placement financing that had merchant exposure. Today, you know, we're involved in a couple uh, situations where um, you know the the private placement market is um, willing to take on some merchant exposure um, with some structuring on the back end, of course, but, you know, they're essentially, you know, willing to have a a tenor that extends beyond the contract life um, on the the facility that's being put in place. So we think that's, you know, um, now they're not underwriting crazy back end power pricing assumptions either, um, but, you know, it provides uh, the sponsors with additional um, debt capacity on the back end, which we think is appealing, particularly if you're doing a refinancing and you want to extract value from the asset.
0: How much longer are those contracts um, beyond the, the PPA?
1: Yeah, the credit facilities that, you know, we're in the market now structuring, um, you know, it's three to five years. Again, it really depends on the situation and how long the, the PPA, the original PPA or the hedges, who the sponsor is. I mean, there's a lot of factors that um, come into play. But generally speaking, you know, three to five years, again, with a lot of different types of structuring and protections around it um you know we're we're able to extend uh, the amortization through that period so um you know like i said it's helpful for sponsors that are you know thinking about refinancing after cod or uh, don't have any leverage at all and are looking to take out a, a dividend through a refi and the pricing has been again very strong um uh you know we're seeing sub sub 160 basis points uh, for, for credit spreads
0: um Let's talk about the private credit market for a second. Um, obviously, there's been some funds that, you know, last year sort of announced themselves to the world a little bit, namely uh, Capital Dynamics mm-hmm. um, and Carlisle, I think, with with debt platforms. And uh, I Squared is coming uh, this year. Yep, um, That's not to say they're focused on energy power renewables, but you might think that's probably an area that they'll play a lot of their investment thesis in uh what have you observed about the private credit market so far in in just sort of your market like where they've shown up where they've been a competitor uh for some of these uh, mandates
1: yeah look i think um so we we think that having these dedicated funds raise dedicated credit funds is actually a good thing for the market provides further liquidity um helps maintain you know a, a robust competitive environment for um for sponsors looking to raise uh, capital. What I think is perhaps interesting from uh, a structuring standpoint with those funds, and, and there, there are others that are uh, coming out in the market raising these dedicated vehicles, is that there's a natural synergy that can sort of uh, be brought to, to bear um, as a fund manager between having access to you know, equity, which sometimes has a mandate a bit more restricted in terms of how they can structure that capital in the capital structure of a potential opportunity or a developer. Um, and, you know, the, the credit opportunities that are naturally going to come to them from folks looking to essentially, you know, finance um, projects and, and hold codes. Um, to, on my point about structuring, what we've seen in the market is that some of these funds are being very creative around structuring. Um, so having access to bo- both a pocket of equity and a pocket of of debt, and I'll sort of debt, quote unquote, because it could be structured many different ways, allows these fund managers to find solutions that make sense for developers that are perhaps less dilutive than if they were coming in as equity. So we've seen, you know, structures where um, these fund managers are placing preferred or mezzanine type of capital inside of a developer or a, a holding, like a holdco vehicle, so that the developer can actually use proceeds of that capital to go and do, you know, all the things that they want to do. Now, sometimes it'll be secured against projects or secured against development opportunities, et cetera. But um, it really allows a developer to not be diluted. Um, You'd say
0: it's more holdco structures, right? It's going to yeah. be subordinated versus senior. Yeah,
1: core. that's right. Yeah. Although, I mean, th- this is like um, uh, holdco um, with you know security against projects. So as projects are being sold, you know the the, the lender. Um, will have access to a preferred return or a first sweep on the capital. Um, or, you know, uh, I think some of the developers are always wary of of raising third-party capital to fund sg because it's highly dilutive, it's very expensive. So they can provide solutions to those, to those issues. Um, and, you know, obviously they have to compete with uh, other um, lenders in the market. So their pricing is in line with what we're seeing elsewhere.
0: So let's uh, talk about storage, um, which will we'll come up next week, and has come up a lot lately. Um, where are these um, fund managers and sponsors coming on in terms of looking at it as an investment opportunity? And before you go into the answer, I mean, I can certainly cite two years ago where uh, we had um, an executive from ICE speak at our conference uh, about battery storage. Now it was such like a nascent, cool trend. Yeah, Has it become more institutional at this point? Is it attracting more dollars, you know, from your vantage point? Well, I think when you think of um, the way that
1: renewables evolved, right, first people were worried about the technology, and then they became comfortable with the technology, and then they were uh, sort of wary about the investment proposition, and then they mm-hmm. became comfortable with the investment proposition, and we saw you know, a combination of factors really drive down costs for renewables. The same sort of phenomenon is happening with storage. Um, it was fairly nascent five years ago. People were worried about... Um, The technology, the sustainability of, you know, the charging of the battery, the the O&M profile, et cetera. And that's obviously, uh, those things have become more well understood and well known. Um, But, you know, then there's the question over what the actual value proposition is and what's the investment thesis. And um, I think investors are struggling with the investment thesis of standalone storage. Mm -hmm. It's difficult to get visibility on the revenue stream. The contracts tend to be, you know, a lot shorter in Tenor, uh, particularly, you know, something we're seeing in California. Uh, and so it's it it, it leaves um, the storage opportunity to those that have either, one, you know, procurements uh, to deploy storage, like we've seen the utilities procure for in California, but also those that have, you know, real corporates that have really good visibility on what's happening on the grid mm-hmm. and have an ability to really pinpoint where storage makes sense on the grid and what the application of that storage is going to be. So it's difficult for the funds. I mean we we get inbounds from, you know, the folks that we work with all the time about storage opportunities that are being marketed and marketed and they just struggle to figure out how they're going to get their capital out, what the return is going to look like. Um, and what the long term viability of that revenue profile at the particular sort of use case that is you know being contemplated. Now that's on the standalone storage side. I think behind the meter applications are very attractive because then you have a captive customer, uh, and I'm talking about the CNI customer base that uh, behind the meter storage facility would have. Uh, there's really good visibility on, especially if it's like a you know blue chip name. Good um, visibility on what the value proposition is to the customer, and it's more of a customer relationship uh, question um, with that storage deployment and and what you can do with a customer than it is putting um, you know a standalone battery uh, facility on the grid at a node where you think there's a good arbitrage opportunity. For example, so I'd say um, lots of people are talking about it. Um, it's difficult to figure out. Um, right now what you know the investment thesis looks like but I suspect you know folks will figure this out as the market continues to evolve and mature over the next 24 months and we will see um, you know some sponsor make an inv- a pretty significant investment um, in the storage space
0: well George that's all the time we have for today thanks for coming on the program really appreciate it uh, we will see you next week and for our listeners please uh, tune in uh, for another podcast upcoming Burke out.